Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring. You know, here at the Church State Council, one of our primary duties is dealing with state legislation. And one of our good friends and partners who, you know, we operated, you know, a regional basis covering five southwestern states. But my friend and partner, Tim Schultz, he's got responsibility for the entire country as president of the First Amendment Partnership. So as we're nearing the end of the legislative season this year, I wanted to invite Tim back to talk about a couple of the issues and bills we've had success with on the religious liberty front around the country. Tim, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Great to be with you as always. And uh, yeah, I I have a lot of frequent flyer miles uh, built up, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, mine are mostly southwest from around here, but... yeah. Anyway, so uh, let's start with Missouri. Sure. What happened there this year? The St. Louis City Council uh, passed a law that said that you can't, quote, discriminate against anybody based upon reproductive behavior or advocacy for reproductive behavior. Now, that sounds kind of innocent, but really, as was pointed out to them, this really was an attack on crisis pregnancy centers that seek to care for women with unwanted pregnancies and, and, and give them alternatives to abortion. L- let me, l- uh, let me back up one second here, yeah. because sure. when we think of civil rights laws, you know, my bread and butter, I'm a lawyer who litigates employment discrimination cases. The different categories of protected class are based on immutable characteristics like race or gender right. or you know age. Um, religion is treated in that same class um, in part because I think it was Madison who expressed the notion, or, or no, it was Jefferson that uh, you know we don't choose so much our religion as we are under conviction, and you know it's not so much um, we, we can't just change our religion um, willy nilly. And, of course, those who advocate for LGBT rights insist that their gender identity, their sexuality, is innate. And, of course, there are those who argue that point. But my point is that we have only protected civil rights of these sort of immutable, innate characteristics. And you're talking about adding a protection based on conduct. Right. This is a protection or a quote-unquote protection based upon conduct, and you're also right uh, that it's a novelty. I mean, only one other city in the entire United States where I live, Washington, D.C., has has passed a law like this. No state has passed a law like this. And so it was really clearly from just the surrounding debate and the law in St. Louis aimed at uh, crisis pregnancy centers or religious employers who may have, you know, Catholic employers, for instance, who may not want to hire people to head Catholic charities who are advocating for abortion rights, for instance. And so what the legislature did is the legislature superimposed a kind of religious protection on top of that city ordinance. They didn't repeal the city ordinance outright. I think that would have presented some some legal problems. But what they did is that they superimposed a religious protection on top of that city ordinance so that it won't impact religious employers, including crisis pregnancy centers, 
that are advocating for life or for a particular sexual ethic, um, they're not going to be in danger. And I think that probably means the law is basically going to have no effect in actual practice. Um, but I think the reason this is so significant is because I expect cities around the country and some state legislatures, and I hate to say it, but California might be one that you know, you'd want to look at where laws like this are going to be passed because they are the old live and let live ethos that we maybe had in America at various times has gone away and more liberal jurisdictions have been really seeking to pass laws that say, you know, if you don't like abortion, it's not enough for you to just not have one yourself. You really need to affirm it. You need to participate in it. You know, you need to pay for it. And that's uh, that frequently conflicts with religious freedom. I mean, right at the core of religious freedom. Very interesting. So that's something for our listeners to keep an eye on all over the country. I agree. Um, yeah. That, now, there's, um, you know, kind of a almost related, because it has to do with reproduction, Right. are adoption agencies and their rights. Right. Tell us what's been happening with that issue. So the background for this, Alan, is that, you know, many adoption agencies around the country are religious, and they have they seek to adopt kids consistent with their religious views. And so, for instance, lots of times a prospective mother will choose adoption over abortion because she knows that a Catholic adoption agency is likely to facilitate her adoption to a Catholic family, for instance. Okay, We actually, as a society, think that's good because it leads to children, unwanted children being born and then placed into loving families who will take care of them, and that's a net positive. Let me ask you, Tim, Yeah. Um, if a family is making a choice to put a baby that's to be born up for adoption, do they have any right to specify that they want it placed with a Jewish family, for example, or a Catholic family, or, you know, a Caucasian family, or an African-American family, for that matter? What kinds of rights do they have? Sure they do. Um, you know, the question is, can they... They have a right to ask for it, and many adoption agencies will honor that request. And, you know, and, and many of those that will are religious, because a lot of these are based on religion, right? They want their child to be adopted consistent with the religion. And so, you know, many adoption agencies will honor that request, and nobody really thinks that that's a discriminatory practice, a wrongfully discriminatory practice. That's at issue here is many adoption agencies in the wake of the legalization of same-sex marriage now find themselves being faced with the question of will we adopt to same-sex couples. And many of them have historically not done so. And then in a few states, the law has come down like a ton of bricks on them. And they law, these uh, adoption agencies have had to go out of business in Illinois and Massachusetts and Washington, D.C. Um, and I think that's a tragedy. I think the rights of gay couples to adopt are now a matter of law also in all 50 states, just like marriage. Um, gay couples uh, don't have any legal barriers to adopt. And I've researched the market on this. There really aren't any uh, any market shortage of adoption agencies that are willing to adopt to gay couples. But in, in this case, we're talking about you know religious adoption agencies, many of whom won't even adopt a single people. And most of them will only place with a married mother and father. And is the law now going to come down on them like a ton of bricks? Now, what has happened is several states have passed laws saying, you know what, we're going to leave these adoption agencies alone. Okay, the fact that the country has same-sex marriage should not 
cause these adoption agencies to shut down. Um, and, and so Texas and South Dakota this year became the latest states to pass a law like that. Um, and let me tell you why that's so significant. One is we didn't hear a lot about those laws nationally. There weren't boycotts. You know, you didn't hear the NCAA saying they were going to have games played in Texas because that law passed. So and that's one thing as far as a political victory goes. But I think there's also a real substantive policy reason why this matters. Earlier this year, the governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, issued an executive order in which he said that if you don't have particular LGBT non-discrimination policies, the state will not contract with you in any way. Okay, He said, we won't do business with you as a state. However, he, he carved out an exception for adoption agencies in Virginia. The reason he did is he wrote it in his executive order, I'm being forced to do this pursuant to a law that Missouri passed in 2013. So Virginia had the foresight to pass that law back in 2013. And so now that issue, the issue of adoption, is really beyond the reach of future governors or executive branch officials unless they want to over, you know, unless they want to somehow uh, you know, repeal the law. But as we know, you know, laws are very hard to repeal. So uh, this is an important foresight to pass laws like this so that adoption agencies can continue to do the good work that they do. And I think the work that we all think is important. Well, you know, if I can take a step back as I'm listening to you, we've talked to our listeners for a long time about this culture war conflict between religious freedom and LGBT rights. And for a long time, it seemed like it was really going one way. It was one-sided. And the LGBT community insists that, you know, non-discrimination is the law of the land and religious liberty loses. Well, you know, the stories that you're telling us, Tim, are that this is not necessarily so. And that there is the possibility of finding some sort of balance, some sort of compromise here where, you know, in this adoption arena... I don't hear you saying that, you know, you or your coalition are opposing the rights of gay couples to adopt, but you are protecting the rights of religious adoption agencies to practice their faith. And it's a win-win because everybody gets to, as you said, live and let live. Yeah, and we've talked about this on, on your show before, but, you know, in general, we support laws that seek to protect the gay community from discrimination as well, especially in the workplace, which is where I think there's pretty strong evidence that discrimination still happens um, in-house, which is the sim similar evidence exists. And I think that you know it's reasonable for people to say that it's wrong to be fired from your job uh, for being gay. And I think that you know those of us who believe in religious freedom need to say that more often and actually put our money where our mouth is and be willing to support legislation that will do that. I think if there's a principle of kind of live and let live and a fairness for all, we need to not just be seeking to protect, quote, religious rights, but, you know, to make it clear that we're not for mistreating anybody. So I, I do believe those things. And I would prefer, by the way, to have these adoption laws to be bound together with some larger legislation that protects religious freedom comprehensively and also protects LGBT rights at the same time. I just think it's fair to say that the politics of that are harder and take longer. Uh, but, you know, we work on those kinds of, of kind of win-win sure. approaches uh, at states as well. And I know that you're working on that approach in Congress yep. in many years to pass new legislation involving civil rights like this fairness for all proposal, right? Yeah. And look, I just think that there are interest groups on the right and left. And you mentioned the ones I think on the left. There are those on the right, too. And, and you know, that, that really don't want to see decent solution to these issues that would prefer to just fight and, and to, to win 
you know, to win, to, you know, for every scrap of territory. And there's a rationale for that, right? I mean, social movements that have morality as their basis tend to make absolutist moral claims. And absolutist moral claims sometimes need to be made, but they also t- sometimes preclude a sensible solution to problems that are they're right in front of your face. And I think it is. If you look at Americans' you know, actual views on this in the polling, I think most people do think that you know it's already illegal to discriminate against people for being gay. Okay, they think that it's already illegal. They don't know that it's not illegal in many places. It's certainly not illegal under federal law. Um, at the same time, I think most Americans, if you look at the polling, say that, you know, you really shouldn't be forced out of the adoption business when there's so many other options for gay couples to adopt, for instance. And so I think there really is a sensible solution that's right here in front of everybody's face. I think people are uh, slowly gravitating toward it. I think there was a brief signed, uh, there was a, a Supreme Court brief in this uh, this uh, Masterpiece Cakes Baker case that, Alan, you're very well familiar with. It's uh, going to be huge before the Supreme Court this coming term. We're a bunch of religions that are, I think, conservative-leaning signed a brief saying, look, we believe in fairness for all. We believe uh, in non-discrimination should, should, uh, principles that should apply to everybody. And I think that's a decent solution to the, you know, these issues that we face. Well, you know, I want to pick up on one of your observations, Tim, before we close, and that is the difficulty. Sure. And I see this. You and I are Christians, and our radio broadcast is on Christian radio. A lot of our listeners, we have these very clearly defined moral views, and we think that our culture should reflect those views. Right. But that attitude can be an impediment to passing laws that really provide effectively for the entire community, and it can ultimately isolate us on the margins of political society. That's kind of what I'm hearing you say. Well, it's true, Alan. I mean, Alan, I know you've been around the world, and and your church is a worldwide church, so you know this very well. But, you know, the idea that Christian social ethics should be perfectly reflected in the law is a peculiar view in the world and in the history of the world. In In most times and places, Christians have not thought that way because Christians have not plausibly had the capacity in the political life of any country to have the Christian view of things, so to speak, to be reflected in public policy. I've got to cut you off there, Tim, because we're out of time. Yeah. Uh, This has been Freedom's Ring. Our guest today, Tim Schultz, president of the First Amendment Partnership. A lively conversation as always. This is your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.